Hello, everybody. I am Jeremy Agnew. I'm the host of the Grim Dark History podcast, where we explore the intersection between history and fiction. This episode is part two of a two-part bonus episode that I did just celebrating reaching a thousand download milestone on my podcast. This is available everywhere you get your podcasts, so iTunes, um, Acast, uh, Apple Store, all, all those places, it's available in all of them, and also YouTube, if you're listening to this to on the YouTube channel. Um, in part one, if you wanted to listen to it, we went through um, the top seven of the historical figures that fan favorites chose that the Emperor of Mankind might have been from the Warhammer 40,000 lore. If you'd like to, hop back and listen to that. We discussed that with my special guest host, Laura Whiteland, from the Chaos Divided podcast. If you're just tuning in, we're just getting into the top three. So these are the final the final three people as picked by the fans of the Warhammer 40,000 lore and the ones who uh, responded and enjoy the show. So without further ado... Uh, let's get to the show. Thanks for listening. And uh, if you enjoy, please subscribe and check in my other podcasts. Thank you. There you go. Alrighty. So into our top three. Um, the first in our top three in at number three is... Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady herself. Uh, yeah, so... I'm very excited for this one, because this one, like... This one fits in my mind, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Me too. And um, this is one of those people I think you could do three or four uh, podcast episodes just on her. Uh, but I'll, I'll go and we'll, we'll, we'll try to do justice to her. Um, you know, lived from 1925 to 2014. She was 87 when she died. Uh, she was Prime Minister of the United Kingdom for 11 years, between 1979 and 1990. Uh, she presided over a time of extreme transition in the UK from a heavily socialized society to more private ownership, increasing middle-class wealth, home ownership in England significantly. Uh, she presided over the transition of the UK from an industrialized kind of 1800s focused economy to a more modernized 20th century one. Uh, initial periods, obviously, when talking about the Thatcher years, is usually high unemployment, high interest rates, out of control, inflation. Uh, but by the end of her tenure, it was really the opposite. There was low unemployment, low interest rates, low inflation. Um, but uh, you know, the success of her policy still had a negative result on a lot of people in the UK. Uh, they suffered through the transition. And then, of course, there was the Falklands War with Ar Argentina, which improved her popularity uh, significantly. Uh, some would say it saved her prime ministership. Um, however, she was uh, widely regarded to be uh, one of the most amazing wartime prime ministers and one of the few people in the history of the world to receive two separate knighthoods. What do you think of uh, Mrs. Thatcher? I, you know what, I think Margaret Thatcher both combined some of the, like, the pettiness of the Emperor. Um, like, the Falklands War is, is a petty, like, squabble. What? Really? Margaret Thatcher went, like, so hard into. Um, 
Which, like, I don't know, the Emperor does that all the time. The Emperor, like, like definitely punitively punishes people for, like, very minor transgressions. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I can that uh, lends it to. Uh, but even the, like... So, I mean, if we talk about, like, a heavily socialized economy, like, a lot of that was, like, the the, the post-war rebuilding mm-hmm. period. So you had, Absolutely. you know, huge reconstruction. Um, you know, if you talk about income inequality, uh, most Western countries, and the UK was not, um, you know, uh, excluded from this, had massive uh, income equality during, like, the 1945 to 1970 period. Yeah. Um and a lot of that was, uh, you know, a lot of your capitalist, um, like, bourgeoisie class had been, uh, had had their wealth wiped out by war. Um, like, physical capital, like, the amount of factories that had been destroyed during the war uh, had really leveled the playing field. And, and Thatcher's really the one who just kind of, like, upends that um, completely and, and really starts pushing the UK back to more of, like, an aristocracy aristocratic uh, society that's like ruled by the wealthy um which very much fits with the emperor because that again the emperor doesn't want to like the emperor wants to have people that are in place to like manage the day-to-day and then can just like manipulate things i i can see like the only struggle with thatcher isn't super like enduring of a figure other than how hated she is yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i agree you know there's not a lot of um empire building um you know there's no um uh, you know religious element to it but there is um somebody who took a nation that was you know just recovering from war and then um you know completely falling apart and then through the force of her will you know enforced her political will saying this is my vision it's going to work and everybody's going to suffer through it and at and Mm. at the end of the time of everybody's suffering whoever's left standing is going to be better and i feel like that kind of fits the the emperor's long-term vision of short-term suffering even if that suffering is is a few years is nothing compared to the long-term success yeah, see, but this is also where the emperor is like, economically, like the the correction from like high interest rates, out of control inflation, like extreme unemployment, like that all was like happening on a macro level, mm-hmm. um, and wasn't necessarily directly tied to her policies. But the amount of suffering she inflicted on like the like poorer people, um, and the amount of like opportunity she gave to wealthy people to like take power mm-hmm. during that period very like emperor-esque sure um because like realistically her policies are not what corrected those issues like they were tied to like historical mistakes um in the 60s like the the high inflation that she inherited um was you know due to like uh uh the energy crisis uh it was due to a lot of like bad like price control um plans in the 60s so it wasn't necessarily like her policies that corrected those issues. She just like deregulated enough that everyone was able to swoop in and kind of grab the money that was available. It's very similar to like what Reagan did, where it was more like just kind of like opened the floodgates of, you know, all the systems that were there to like protect the, you know, equality that had been achieved after the war. 
she dismantled all those systems and just kind of created like uh basically an all-you-can-eat buffet um which is again very similar to how like terra functions in um 40k where there's like opulently wealthy individuals and then just like a giant pool of labor which is kind of how the emperor sees most people it's just like potential verbs that just people that do stuff for him <laughs> well i mean one of the things that that she did do uh, you know when we talk about this is um you know at the start of her tenure um, the government basically had no money and in order to create money from the government you got to create tax revenue and in order to do that she had to cut government spending uh, and then the creation of this um, you know expanded uh, middle class and, and upper middle class this wealth of, you know that you were talking about that generates tax revenue um, so I mean she even though a lot of people suffered um, you know she did rebuild the government uh, because the government was basically uh, bankrupt when she started and at the end of her effort all the tax revenue coming in from her policy changes good or bad created a, a government that had budget surplus that was able to do things yeah i just you know the the enduring impacts of like uh margaret thatcher's actions are, are still being felt now oh for sure um, so i mean like she's a she's a you know, she's a love and hate a lover of hate person i think yeah, and I definitely think, like, you know, the Emperor occupies a lot of the same things. I, um, yeah, I can see, you know, talking about uh, the Emperor setting challenges for himself, I can see Margaret Thatcher being a, all right, again, how can I, like, test my political chops in a very difficult situation with kind of, like, the difficulty cranked? And, and yeah, I can see that being the Emperor. So, so this was another um, civilization video game challenge you know we're hard, hard mode challenge you're gonna inherit a, a you know a nation struggling and pull it out from yeah like can i dramatic in, in a very short period of time can i dramatically change a like the remnants of a you know disembodied empire uh and change it so dramatically in an 11 year period that it's almost unrecognizable from what it was before, um, you know, operating as, you know, a woman in a period of like intense sexism. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I can see that as like the emperor being like, all right, how good am I at this? Like, you know, coming out of like, you know, one of those like, okay, Bismarck was a challenge, but like Margaret Thatcher would be like talking about like political operative, like operatives. Yeah. Uh, and like, political chops like thatcher operate in a way more intense environment like oh, for sure um there's no autocracy so yeah, there of, exactly like like thatcher built those structures um in a lot of ways that like you know it's it's an interesting uh like talking about empire building like i i see thatcher as almost like rebuilding an aristocracy yep. in a lot of ways yep. which again fits in with kind of like how the emperor operates and it's like okay, how fast can I do this? And realistically, Thatcher did it in a very short period of time. Like, you have, like, 11 years for the amount of societal change the UK went through in that period, and, like, how lasting that has been yeah. is, like, pretty profound. Um, and, yeah, I can see that being, a, like, the Emperor's, like, okay, how, like, 
how far can I push the human psyche of like almost like uh, like the perspective viewpoint like whiplash of like okay we're gonna go from like one very different direction to like the complete opposite as fast as possible I like it yeah alrighty who's who's number two in our list we've got Cyrus the Great so founder of the first Persian Empire uh I uh, Theomenid Empire? Achaemenid. Achaem- uh, okay, I also can't read very well. My eyes are not great, sorry. Uh, which is the 20th largest empire ever in recorded history. Defeated the uh, the Medes, the one who destroyed the Assyrian Empire that had dominated Mesopotamia for about 700 years. Founded an empire that would stretch from modern-day Pakistan all the way into Greece, around the Levant, Egypt, and North Africa, considered a prophet in Jewish religion for being the one to free them from Babylonian captivity and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem. Persian influence from science, religion, mathematics, aesthetics, and architecture can be felt the world over, from Spain to China and Russia and throughout the Mideast and India. All right. You know what? I can see it. Yeah. I can see it too. This is, I, I thought this was a great pick. Um, this one, I mean, you know, when you want to talk about ancient empire building, um, it, it, it's hard to get bigger. I mean, we will get bigger, but it's, it's hard to get bigger than the, uh, than the Achaemenid Kemen, uh, Empire, um, which I thought was great. I, I like this pick. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you're talking about, um, time period so we're we're talking uh 600 bce yeah um where realistically again you don't have necessarily a lot of like logistical support and you have a lot of difficult geography um so it's a very like methodical uh expansion um but then also yeah i i can see it and, for sure and the geography is pretty crazy in this area because to be um you know a persian empire starts in iran and to get from iran into iraq uh, you have to cross a giant mountain range called the zagros mm. mountains which um, i can only imagine would be uh, it's difficult today <laughs> when, when you have trucks and airplanes I can't imagine trying to do it with, um, you know, marching an army thousand strong plus all your supply train to go from uh, the Iranian lowland desert through the mountains and then into, uh, into Iraq or Mesopotamia. Um, you know, that, that would be quite a trek just to get your army there. And then once you're there, then you still have to conquer all the lands. And yeah, it's crazy. And there's a huge, I mean, it's a massive empire when you look at it. I, you know, I looked at it on the map and you think, oh, it's big. And then you start zooming in and go, Jesus, there's a giant mountain range here. Oh, Jesus, there's mm. a giant mountain range here. There's an ocean here. You know, how are you marching an army from one end to the other and, and keeping it? That's the thing. How do you, how do you keep it? That's crazy. Well, even if you think like, you know, um, like, yeah, there is a lot of coast there, but it, it extends quite far inland as well. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of a, a massive feat um, 
in a time when like there would have been like it would have been very difficult to pull that off like if you think of like the roman empire or like the greek empires or even like carthage they're largely bound by coastline and this is very much an inland empire in a time when like even uh, mesopotamia was um pretty much constrained to two rivers for the most part was where most of the power lied yeah the well yeah the yeah so the mesopotamia like you said would was from um and tune into my my series on this actually coming out in just a few days but um september one uh but this is so mesopotamia was from the persian gulf so the southern end of iraq um all the way up uh into what what's assyria today and down down along the mediterranean coast um that was, and then parts of um, of uh, Anatolia. That, that was kind of Mesopotamia, kind of just before you hit the mountains there. But uh, and for thousands of years, the extent of the Babylonian Empire was that that little piece of land, and, and into and into Egypt a little bit. And, and of course, you could only have kingdom along Egypt because you got the Nile, like you said, you got water to go up and down. This is yeah. this is the first one that, like you said, is hugely inland, and that's really where, like, I, I think a lot, of, like, you're and you're crossing, like, these water boundaries, like, they don't necessarily connect until you connect them. Um, so yeah, no, it, it, that's like it's insanely impressive considering the time period and like, you know, how fast sailing ships, like, we're talking like you know, trireme times where you're still generally like rowing ships yeah. up and down like rivers and coastal areas. Like ocean travel is very difficult. Um, obviously the Suez Canal is not there. So like, you know, uh, goods coming from Greece and trying to make it back to Persia are spending a lot of time like traveling over land. Like, yeah, there was definitely, they probably had ways of like cro- uh, creating water crossings to simplify it. But again, moving an army and then also holding on to land. And again, empires are often uh, a matter of incentive. There needs to be an incentive to not rebel, which is typically economic. Um, That's where a lot of empires like hold themselves together is effectively um, customs unions. (laughs) <laughs> so and uh, well and one of the things the the accumulated empire was famous for was their wealth and um they were not uh you know they had an army they could go rock around and and beat you to death with uh, but they were also just as happy to um in, invest in your kingdom and rule if you would just swear fealty to them and then they, they and then they would literally give you money or give you experts. Oh, geez, you, you need some people that could uh, build some, um, um, you know, some farmland for you. Well, here, I've got 5,000 slaves I'll send over and we'll get your farmland all set up. Yeah, and that's where, like, you know, again, like, empire building is typically one of, like, incentive versus disincentive. You know, you want to make rebellion and independence disincentivized you know, which is typically where the army part of it comes in. And then you want to incentivize like membership. Um, So I can definitely see this being the emperor kind of like figuring that out. Like, you know, playing like, okay, how do I do this again in a harder way? Like, 
I don't think the Emperor typically tends to go for the, like, the easy win. It's more like, how far can I push humanity? How can I advance them? Like, what little kind of, like, um, you know, if you, if you think of it as, like, kind of nipping and tucking and, like, you know, shepherding towards something bigger, I think this is an example of, like, a very early example of, like, okay, how do I overcome the challenges of being kind of like a, a coastal water-based like empire can you push past that and i think this is a, a great example of somebody who did and then also ushered in like other advancements from that stability and from that platform so no i, I think it's maybe it's also earlier on so it can maybe even be the uh the emperor maybe playing a little bit with like more lofty goals yeah, like the the aesthetics and the you know the scientific element of it, um, you know things like architecture. Like we know, like pre heresy, the imperial palace is beautiful. So obviously the emperor has some aesthetic consideration. So you know, I like yeah, it, hundred percent. Yeah, alrighty, good, good, good call, Reddit. Yeah, yeah, way to go. Not so good on. Tesla, but uh, this was a good one. Well, it is. It's Reddit, of course. Tesla's yeah. going to come out. Yeah. That's like the, I don't. I don't deal with Tes- uh, Reddit. I don't know Reddit that well, but I feel like the one thing I know is that Tesla's popular there. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, for sure. And and I think um, our our number one was probably no surprise to you either. I almost the. I think I was more surprised that it's not confirmed that the Emperor was Genghis Khan. Oh. um but that's a little bit of the um especially in the earlier you can very much feel the like the the british centrism of not even british english centrism of like 40k yeah uh you know there's a yeah i'm sure like you know the the lack of diversity amongst the primarchs for example shows there like you know I, I, yeah, again, I'm just, I'm more surprised that this doesn't make the list, because if you talk about, like, uh, ridiculous, like, Civ Six uh, Empire strategies, uh, Genghis Khan had the most ridiculous of them all. <laughs> the, the I'm going to conquer everybody strategy? Yeah, like, just, but also create both, um, like, learn a lot of lessons on the, on good ways to run an empire, but then also just like not have any follow through whatsoever of just like I'm going to create this and then just see how long it takes to uh, fall apart. Yeah. Well, and you know if we you know as we've been talking about all these different people, one of the themes that seems to be cropping up as we've been discussing thing is the emperor trying something different, and mm. and, and certainly you know we he's conquered a lot of things and Genghis Khan certainly known for that. But one of the things that is different is you know a huge chunk of asia and, and europe the you know the eurasian steppes is this giant basically ocean-sized plains how do you build an empire in a place where there are no cities so maybe this is an attempt at you know what do we do with these um, thousands and thousands of people that live in places that are, are, are they're basically mobile cities. And, you know, I think maybe this is him experimenting with this type of civilization, which if he was, um, you know, Cyrus the Great, 
um, Cyrus the Great is killed by one of these horse, horse archer um, civilizations, which is the you know the mm. Mongols are famous for. So maybe this is him, maybe dabbling in this horse archer civilization to see how powerful it could be as either a, a weapon or something to build an empire with. I mean, there's also maybe the darker, uh, you know, maybe he was just trying to spread the Black Death around and start over again. I don't, I don't know. That's also another possibility. Well, the, well the, now the Black Death comes um, much later than Genghis Khan. It's... Um, no, but it's, yeah. the, it's, it's the, the empire created, it's the Mongol Empire that spreads that whole shebang. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, it's um, where... Like the bubonic plague is, I think it's part somewhere in India, is where it originates from, uh, and how it proliferated was like rats, um, carrying it along like along shipments along the Mongol Empire, which eventually ended up in, you know, Europe and in the Middle East and to devastating effect. Um, <laughs> so I, I can also see the emperor like, you know, plaguing his own people just to see who will survive. Uh, you know, that also fits. So sure. Now, I I think the the first, or at least in Europe, the first recording of the plague is from uh, a Genoese um, trading vessel that was in the Black Sea. That uh, was in a. Uh, it was at a. Um, a city on the north coast on the Eurasian steppe that was sieged by the Golden Horde, I think, which is Genghis Khan's like great 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 grandson or something like that, and mm. and they were catapulting diseased corpses into the city, and uh, and the people that the Genoese traders that left there brought the plague to Europe through that. I think I'm pulling that maybe I'm pulling that out of my ass, but I I think that that's how, how no, I don't mean Genghis Khan is like, and like, I'm by no means saying like the Mongol Empire directly was trying to do that, but I can see like the emperor having that as like a like spin off effect of like, okay, if I create this, what are the consequences? Maybe not necessarily like specifically like, hey, if I unleash the Black Death, like, how bad will it be but just to like what are the consequences of creating a giant empire in this type of like environment yeah and certainly they uh, will side even just from spreading disease around um just their approach to warfare was devastating as well yeah uh, you know go up to a city uh okay do you surrender no okay we're gonna kill everybody in your city then um but uh, that's how they operated which is uh, ruthless even by the standards of, of that time but not ruthless by the standards of the emperor nope um, nope that sounds pretty tame actually yeah, yeah. Um, you know uh, the emperor will destroy your entire planet because one part of it won't comply so um, that you know that definitely fits in um, yeah and, I, uh, and, and you know the emperor as Alexander the Great Alexander the Great uh, conquered a lot of cities, and he you know, was um, also had a reputation for being extraordinarily ruthless. Um, you know, whenever he was siege besieging a city, if the if he happened to be wounded in battle, 
while he was besieging a city or uh, they were particularly um, vexatious in terms of how long it took him to siege the city, he would murder almost everybody in the city after it was done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and we know Alexander the Great was the emperor, yeah. so yeah, that he's just he's just he's just going back to the old the oldies, yeah. the oldies with goldies <laughs> of genocide. Um, you can what, what's that? You can you can take the take the the oh, I can't even pull the the idiom out of my head now. Something about yeah, you can take the the dog out of the or you can't teach an old dog new tricks or something. Is that it? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you can you can take the megalomania out of the emperor, but he's still the emperor, and he's gonna make more megalomania, maybe. <laughs> um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think Genghis Khan is definitely one of those like, um, prob like fits very well. Um, the only thing that might be kind of like the to to maybe do the counterpoint is that there is a lot of similarities with like Alexander the Great. Um, and again, uh, this could maybe be another situation of like uh, the emperor maybe operating more from the shadows of is the emperor necessarily Genghis Khan? No, but is the emperor involved with Genghis Khan? Yes, I can also see that being like a kind of a shadowy guiding someone, uh, like like his trusted advisor. Yeah, like a you know, this might be more of an because again, like. Does he want to do the same or a similar thing twice? No, but does he want to see, like, can, like, a regular human be pushed to do something extraordinary? Oh, well, now I like that. So this is kind of a, a another play, only a more violent one on kind of the future Bismarck. Yeah, like, I, and like, like I said, I could also 100% see Genghis Khan being the emperor. I just can also see it being, like, a... Um, just because it rhymes again with uh, Alexander the Great, I can see it being more of a like, can you guide someone? Like, you know, can you inspire? Because realistically, like, um, like the fact that like Mongolia conquered as much of the world as they did is like extraordinary. Yeah. And it's like, you know, is it the emperor leading them personally, or is it the emperor like? pushing a people to do something like absolutely like out of bounds like just mind-blowing yeah i think you're yeah it, it would fit better in your the way you're thinking about it where he's somebody in the background pushing them because you know by the time Gen yeah. genghis khan is done the mongol empire is really northern china and mongolia um it's it's his son and grandson they're they're the ones that make it the second largest empire ever in history and it would make sense if the emperor is that guy in the background the advisor um pulling the strings and maybe even takes the role yeah the, of the son or the grandson yeah um so like a multi-generational effort of being yeah, yeah. like a because, yeah, again, I, I can 100% see that being, like, you know, can you guide, can you structure, can you create, like, this, like, almost, um, like, extraordinary, like, family? Because, mm -hmm. again, I, I think, like, the Emperor, you know, up until, you know, what, 20, the 29th millennium is mostly in the background. Yeah. 
So if you think of like, okay, what is this guy doing this whole time? He's just learning. Like, it's kind of like one huge experiment almost of like, what levers can I pull? Like, what can I learn? Because like, realistically, like, the Great Crusades happened very fast. Yeah, just 300 years or something. Yeah, like, you almost have to have somebody who's like, very well equipped with like, everything you can like expect to happen and both go wrong i mean we also don't necessarily know like uh kind of talking about that like leto the second um uh inspiration like does is the emperor like prescient like does the emperor know like you know at this point like what's going to happen forty thousand years in the future yeah my my personal theory is is um, the emperor is much more like Leto the Second than than other people think he is? I I think he knows everything that's going to happen. I think he planned for the heresy to happen. I think he mm. I think he intended to be a, a dick to Angron. Um, you know, I I think everything that happened was intentional in order <laughs> in order to get to some um, future state and. He had to, the the heresy had to happen. He had to be, he had to do his time on the throne. Um, and, but at the end of it, in some unknowable future state that's as yet thousands of years into the future, or, or maybe mm. or maybe one year in the future, we don't know, something's going to happen. And everything that's happened leading up till then will enable humanity to not only survive it, but thrive at the end of it. That, that's my well, it, personal canon is he knows it all he's he's leto the second golden golden path prescient i well actually now that we're talking about and talking about things like um you know like the mongol empire like um you know if you're thinking on the time scale of you know a millennia is a short time period for the emperor yeah um you know, even from what we know of, like, the heresy, like, even examples of, like, remembrancers and how a lot of the worlds are described, like, there's a much higher quality of life in the Imperium in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you even look at, like, what happens to Caliban, like, how quickly Caliban is, like, industrialized and modernized um, after the Emperor arrives to, to meet the Lion. Like, uh, that's in one of the books, like... Yeah there's kind of these like profound jumps in like the human experience, but it's still very much like, it's not the Imperium of 40 K. No, like the Imperium of 40 K is very much a like nihilistic, um, militant, like it's a nightmare, almost like hyper mobilized though. It's a purely like militarily focused machine that only serves war. That's all it does. Which the Imperium of the Great Crusade is not. Even though the Great Crusade is happening, there's a tremendous amount of effort being put into war. But there is still time for arts and culture and architecture and there are aesthetic concerns. There's like time there is um room for debate. Like even the the Council of uh, Nikea happening is an example of like there was time for like political debate even though that is was largely like a sham yeah it still happened it still occurred and like the amount like even that whole description of like the amount of effort that was put into you know create like freezing a volcanic planet into a stable shape just to show the power of the emperor is very much rooted in like 
a far more decadent society than the Imperium is. So, like, does the Emperor know that the Necrons are going to come back? Does the Emperor know about Tyranids? And is the Emperor just like, you know, is the heresy just an impetus to create a society that is so, like, desperate for survival, which is, you know, potentially his, like, whole overarching golden path that, you know, effectively you need, like, 10,000 years of, like, you know, conflicts with chaos to almost uh, sharpen them into a position where they can then handle like all the threats facing humanity yeah i like that it's it's a a multi-generational um like you said way to just change society um not only to build something that was that's unified but like you said in a in a like a ptsd you know constant state of war and readiness uh i like that i like that that way to think about it and i think like you know taking genghis khan as an example like that's realistically taking a society like as almost a microcosm taking a society that was like largely like self-sufficient but also self-contained within a geography and then just like blowing it up effectively into a massive empire and then just like it was that just kind of an experiment by the emperor to see like what happens well well, and you know playing on that there is, um, you know, a state where, you know, pre-unification Terra is just a bunch of warring kingdoms. And if you want to unify it all in a short period of time, what's the type of culture and people you need to build in order to, you know, minus the technology, um, but just you need a certain cultural type of person, I think, in order to build an army um, that would be have the mental fortitude to be capable to unify basically all of Earth in I think it was it thirty years? Is that how long the the unification wars took? It's yeah, I mean it's it's long in like a human sense, but it's not long in like a forty k sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean like you know what do you need to have? How do you operate like? the value of speed in in that like there's a lot of expediency in that and you know what kind of compromises do you need to make who do you keep who do you get rid of like how do you judge someone so talking about like you know bismarck's ability to like read people and like find out their utility to some greater cause like that very much fits in with like unification and like basically uh ensconcing the high lords of terra like somebody like genghis khan you can see where like uh that like rapid empire building that the great crusade ends up being um you know margaret thatcher's uh rapid uh transformation of a society you can see that in kind of what happens um you know cyrus the great like that's a great example of uh you know, empire building when it's like difficult and uh, like uh, logistically complicated, which would represent more so like his retaking of like the soul system and some of the closer star systems, like the kind of like pre Primark um, Great Crusade, yeah, yeah. like before he finds any of them. Yeah. Um, so, no, I think like a lot of these actually fit in, except Nikola Tesla. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, internet. Maybe, and maybe St. Patrick. St. Patrick also doesn't fit into a lot of these themes. I still like um, it, but that's all right. 
No, that's, and that's fair. I just, like, he just, I mean, it's almost like the, it's the use of religion. Like, I can see St. Patrick being kind of playing with religion, but yeah, it doesn't fit into kind of the, like, Imperium building. Well, and also, you know, uh, I mean, we know he's St. George, and we know St. George defeats the dragon, which he imprisons on Mars, which leads to the development of the cult mechanicum and the religion mm. that that he's able to exploit to be you know uh to get the mechanicum on his side um maybe there's something else happening with saint george that's similar to that um but not necessarily an exercise in empire building or religion building maybe he's um defeating something that would have gotten the way of future empire building yeah oh i you know what now that i'm thinking about it more it could also be an example because ireland effectively is like fairly geographically isolated for large swaths of time um especially like post um roman empire Mm -hmm. um like the after the fall of rome um so maybe it's saint patrick could be an example of more like cultural um manipulation like how how can you shape like an isolated um society which again might come in more out of like what he did before like the dark age yeah of technology of like what did he put in place amongst these like disparate human worlds so that they would like be somewhat usable when he'd be able to get back to them it's like uh batman and his prep time this is him you know prepping prepping the the future state worlds to be in some some way enable them to kind of you know be the first domino that he flicks over and everything falls into place because like you know realistically for the great crusade to happen and and i think it you know it is talked about in the crusade like there are a lot of planets that just like you know they see imperial ships and they're just like oh human like this is great reconnecting with humanity um you know is someone like saint patrick maybe like him figuring out like okay how do i build a society that can endure isolation more so and still be resilient mm-hmm. um because i mean realistically ireland after this point gets raided by vikings for very long periods of time yeah. and just generally like there's very little like large geographic trade there's you know ireland ends up being just kind of like very isolated but then also very under threat so you know what, the more I'm talking about it, the more I can see it. Not so much as, like, the empire-building side of it, but more of the, like, cultural, um, like, preservation viewpoint of, like, what are the, like, uh, pillars you need to have in place to make sure that you don't just, like, descend or, like, collapse during hardship, but actually, like, thrive. Yeah, and how do you get a, uh, a isolated people prepped to um, integrate or join a larger um, yeah. international community religion which religion effectively the catholicism does yeah. yeah so you're both geographically isolated but then you're still connected to like a central authority yeah okay. yeah no it's an interesting you know what the more we've talked about it i'm, I'm back on board all right good well glad we, we took a little bit extra time and backtracked a little bit there we go. Well, you, you got to summarize at the end, yeah. right? We got to we got to prove the thesis that we know what we're talking yeah. about. Speaking of which, um, you know, as hosts of our show, I I asked you uh, ahead of time, you know, do you have somebody maybe not in this list 
that you think maybe could have been on this list? Who who do you, do you like anybody you know throughout history or or maybe you know even fantasy or fiction to maybe have been the emperor of mankind? I can actually see like Socrates, yeah, being the emperor, yeah. Um, again, you know what? It it kind of blends in with that. Um, maybe what like St. Patrick was trying to accomplish, like what, what the emperor could be trying to accomplish as St. Patrick um, of creating like enduring uh, cultural contributions. I, I, I I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like realistically, like, like, but Socrates also like acts very indirectly. Like he himself doesn't do a lot. It's what everyone else did around him. Um, It's like, maybe the emperor playing with like how his presence and his thinking and thoughts and like, you know, gets distributed out to humanity in a way. And like, you know, this is like talking to Plato um, sort of a way for the emperor to see like, okay, how does this play out if I let people into like my wisdom almost? Yeah. And certainly um, I don't think you'll find, I mean, Socrates for for people who you know love 40k and and are just kind of ethereally aware that there was you know a philosopher called Socrates Socrates um, seen as the founder of Western philosophy he taught Plato who of course taught Aristotle and Aristotle uh, a lot of people would uh, make very strong arguments and I think they'd be right that um, a lot of basically western thinking can be driven back to aristotle who of course is a student of plato who's a student of socrates so it's a way to flick that first domino maybe in in something that builds over thousands of years effectively well i mean and it it extends further than that like um the stoics were big fans of socrates um so like epictetus who uh, was largely plagiarized by, like, early Christians in the formation of, like, the philosophy that accompanied Christianity, mm-hmm. um, was, like, you know, Stoics basically worshipped Socrates, almost, um, as, and a lot of that got subsumed, like, Seneca, um, very much, Marcus Aurelius, who, um, I actually don't think would be the emperor, um, just because the emperor doesn't tend to be, the emperor tends to be more pointed, whereas Marcus Aurelius was like a broader person. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is very much inspired by Socrates. And like, um, so again, I think like Socrates could be an example of someone who's like, like, it's not even just like, like the reverberations happen in so many different directions and so many different ways that I can see that being like a very early attempt of the emperor. Like, okay, let's steer from the shadows for the next like 8,000 years. Yeah. I really like that pick. I think that's a fantastic one. Well, now, now what, what's yours? Because I've uh, I've put the pressure on now. <laughs> mine, uh, you know, uh, mine's a little bit more back into the the conqueror or or world building, empire building person. But you touched on you know a while back about you know the, I mean, forty you know, k is written by you know people largely Western and you, you know it live a lot of them living in in great britain um so the emperor has been like you said you know a lot of western figures um but i like a guy by the name of abdal malik 
and Abd al-Malik, he was a caliph of the Umayyad Caliphate, which was the first um, Muslim empire that, that kind of rose out of the initial expansion of, of the Muslim empire out of the Arabian Peninsula. So I like Abd al-Malik because even though he's the fifth kind of emperor or caliph, um, when he takes the throne, the empire's basically falling apart. You know, the expansion out of the Saudi Arabia conquered um, a massive chunk of the world in a very, very short period of time, basically one generation, uh, but it was in the middle of a civil war because A, there was dozens if not hundreds of different cultures and languages and even though you know it was the Muslim expansion, um, they didn't really do a good job of, of unifying people with um, the Muslim religion. Uh, Abd al-Malik, not only is he a conqueror, he unifies, he puts down all these revolts and basically stitches the empire back together. But much like uh, our first Chinese emperor or other people, he enforces standards he enforces a you know a, a new Muslim um, coinage. He enforces the Muslim religion. Uh, he enforces the language um, of that's spoken in Saudi Arabia as kind of the official language that everybody should speak when they're teaching um, the the uh, um, uh, Muslim religion. And uh, and then he helps, even though it was though. The text had actually only been written down and standardized, I think, just a generation earlier, but it wasn't actually pushed out anywhere. He made sure, you know, if you had a copy of the Quran in, in Egypt, it was the same copy of Quran somebody had in Pakistan, um, which up until he took control wasn't the case. There were different versions of the Quran around, and some of it was in different languages. So he standardizes all that stuff, unifies... Um, you know, an empire bigger than what it had been under one religion, one language, enforces the culture um, on all these different people and sets up, um, you know, a massive um, Muslim religion and culture and way of thinking that persists even till today. Um, so that's why I like Abd al-Malik, just because it's another way to build an empire um, using religion, using language, and you know standardized weights and measures, but also this other way of doing it too. And I think that was kind of a, a neat way to do it. And it's hard to argue that um, there isn't a massive influence of that even today um, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You know, I, I also like this one. And I think, uh, you know, talking about standardization and that, but even just fitting into kind of the theme of like the emperor trying different kind of political, socioeconomic, like, um, cultural, like every, like religious, um, context and, and trying to kind of like turn them to kind of whatever he's trying to do. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about like building empires, but this is more of a situation of somebody like, uh, solidifying an empire. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it, yeah. and the, it, it, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like it's uh, you know, you know, you're not the Julius Caesar in this uh, example. You're more of like the Octavian. Like you're, you're the person who actually like brings structure to, 
you know, the government and society, um, but in like a very uh, temperamental position. So yeah, I can definitely see that being, you know, the emperor playing more with that like um, context, which again, I think echoes into like the great crusade. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, uh, Abdal, you know, building the empire that becomes solidified, like you said, um, Abdal Malik's son, he's the one that leads the Muslim invasion of Spain, uh, which uh, gets stopped by Charlemagne's father um, when it tries to get in get into France. So, um, mm. you know, he, his son, you know, extends the Muslim empire to as big as it will will ever be, but he builds that that engine that enables an expansion that exists till today. It's crazy. Yeah, and I, and I think that's very like. You know, again, seeing kind of like, okay, how do you um, change the course of history? How do you, you know, impact it? How do you effectively, like, you know, increase the likelihood of survival of humanity? That's really, like, that's the Emperor's one and only goal. Yeah. Um, is just, like, the survival of humanity. Um, and, you know, I, I think we've seen even within, like, you know, what we were talking about, about, like, the role of the heresy, like, part of it is both like conflict and friction and then also like structure and order but then also like stability and you know a little bit of chaos mixed in there but i mean if we talk about like the emperor as a god of order yep. um you know all empire builders typically what they're trying to do at least whether or not they affect do it effectively like but what they think they're doing is like instating order yeah. typically yeah um and I mean that very much fits the mo of uh, of the emperor. So no, I like that one. That makes All sense. Right. All right. Well, thanks so much. I've really enjoyed you uh, having you on the podcast. It was great to nerd out and uh, not only talk a little history but talk a lot of lore. And uh, I I loved it. It was a great time. Yeah, and I guess you know I'll do the self promotion thing. Uh, if you if you've enjoyed listening to me rambling. Uh, the Chaos Divided podcast with uh, myself and Nurgle Snurgle. Um, and it's it's mostly just us, like, uh, joking around. And, you know, I, I know you normally have a more serious uh, podcast. Yeah. You know, when, when I listen, it's a little more uh, rigorous. So uh, if you're looking for something a little lighter, then check out Chaos Divided. And, uh, and yeah, again, thank you so much for having me on. And this has been an absolute blast. And, and uh, maybe maybe I'll get invited in again if I've... If, uh, I didn't do too bad a job. No, you did awesome. And I think, you know, when I <laughs> when I get to the, the end of my, my Warhammer 40k se- season, um, I'll, I'll look to do something special and, and see if I can uh, get you involved in that, see if we can nerd out about uh, the lore a little more. Well, there we go. Well, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, for everybody who might have missed it, what's, the, what's your podcast again? It's it's chaos divided. Chaos divided. It's uh, awesome. I love that. I love your podcast. It's great. Everybody should check it out. Even if you don't like, um, not necessarily a fan of Warhammer Forty Thousand, it's just a type of show that leaves you with a good feeling and a smile on your face. Oh, that's what we're going for. Yeah, yeah, it's great. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks everybody for listening. It's been a great time. Once again, thank you everybody who listened to our podcast and who took the time to download the podcast as we've gotten it off the ground these last few months. 
this podcast isn't possible without fans who like history and who like fiction and uh, just talking about it a little bit. And I hope you enjoyed uh, the this bonus, these two bonus episodes we did. It was just an excuse to have fun and uh, talk uh, a little bit more, you know, fan out, fanboy out a little bit on our uh, topic of our season one. And uh, we'll look to get back to our regular schedule podcasts um, at the start of uh, the first of every month. So thank you very much for listening, everybody, and I hope you had a good time. Bye-bye.